today on Ag News Daily. You know, everybody wants to say, every year when we see planning intentions, you know, everybody says, yeah, but those numbers are going to change dramatically. You know, the funny thing about that is they typically don't. You know, the bias actually in corn has been down. Good afternoon. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Delaney Howell here, joined by Tanner Winterhoff. And just a reminder, today's podcast is sponsored by Grasshopper Mowers. Nothing gets in the way of hashtag Moday except for maybe snow, Tanner. Yes, it is white outside my window right now. I was not expecting this. I uh, thought we were done with this. Tomorrow is the first day of April and now we're having snow. Yes. Uh, I got to remember back to what March looked like when it came in, because that old adage of come in like a lion, go out like a lamb or vice versa. Um, certainly not a welcome sight here in central Iowa. Tanner, I got to tell you a secret. I'm not particularly good at sayings or adages. I get them <laughs> really, really wrong. Well, then uh, I want you to be wrong on this one and all of a sudden turn into sunny and 75. Wouldn't you mind? <laughs> Okay, let me see if I can like do a reverse snow dance or something. <laughs> That's perfect. Well, what's new in the news today? Well, a couple of things. Obviously, today is the prospective plantings report. So markets certainly have their attention focused on that. We're going to be chatting with Ted Seifred here later on in the podcast to talk about that report. Recording today's podcast a little bit in chunks. So we're recording this morning, but we'll be talking to Ted this afternoon after that report drops. So we'll come back to that. But I think a big headline that I forgot to mention yesterday on the podcast was that Corteva AgriSciences Enlist One and Enlist Do herbicides will now be legal to use in 134 countries or excuse me, 134 counties here in 2022. Now, to give us a little bit of a backstory here, just a reminder, those two herbicides were banned previously due to risks to endangered species, but now they can be used in all counties in Arkansas, Kansas, Minnesota, Missouri, Nebraska, Ohio, Oklahoma, and South Dakota. And in Texas, Enlist products can be used in a good handful of counties, but there are still several dozen counties that remain banned from these two herbicides in Alabama, Arizona, California, Colorado, Florida, Georgia, Louisiana, and the list goes on and on. So you can find the full list on page 16 of an EPA document found at regulations.gov to see if it uh, works in your neck of the woods. But certainly, I know a lot of folks were pushing to get this re-enlisted, re-able to be used and opened. And um, Corteva is certainly happy about that news. Yeah, that I was just going to say, that's that's probably the most positive they could have hoped for um, coming out of the article. That uh, I, I don't know if I'm a little bit surprised or taken back, but that's certainly good news for Corteva and producers. Certainly is to have that tool put back in the toolbox, Tanner. Yes. This first piece that I want to share today is a little bit off the wall. It comes from uh, the Wax Invest newsletter. So every once in a while, um, they put out their newsletter to financial industries around the uh, potential startup companies and investment cycles. And I'm going to say... You know, periodically they have agricultural opportunities, but what I'm talking about today is a disruptor in more of the lawn care and mowing industry. So there are now autonomous mowers. So the mower of the future called Graze, 
which is supposed to potentially disrupt the parks, golf courses, municipalities, cemeteries for lawn mowing. But the reason I'm sharing it with us today is I know there's a lot of farmers and producers out there that have a love-hate relationship with mowing their own yards, whether it's around their grain bin setups, uh, their large acreages, or any of the property that they own. And now there is an autonomous, user-activated, monitored, and controlled mower. So Graze is setting up a company now to where you might just be able to turn the mower on and walk away. And it kind of works like a Roomba, if you've ever seen one Hmm, of those Delaney. I have one. Oh, yes. Oh, that... Nah, you have a Roomba, not a Graze mower, correct? I have a Roomba. Yeah. I wish I had a lawnmower that mowed our lawn for us, but no, unfortunately, I don't have that yet. So as the labor-intensive market um, continues to balance out the shortage of labor, this could be a solution to our listeners as the startup continues to take off as to how we can maintain those acreages without having to put someone in the seat of an actual lawnmower. My big question, Tanner, is do we know the price point on this thing? No. So they are currently in the fundraising phase. And the article that is stated uh, does not give you a price for what this lawnmower was going to cost. But they right now are currently offering both electric and gas options. Okay. Well, speaking of technology, John Deere has acquired a joint venture with SurePoint Ag Systems, which is a company that designs and manufactures liquid fertilizer application and spray tendering systems, as well as anhydrous and irrigation injection equipment. So you can kind of probably guess uh, the writing on the wall there of why John Deere obviously wants to invest in that this year. But uh, they said that it will allow John Deere Technologies to access a wide range of products in this partnership with Surefire Ag Systems. And Surefire Ag Systems and its subsidiaries will still operate under their own brand name just as a joint venture here with John Deere. Wow, that uh, that doesn't seem like a new move for John Deere, just continuing to expand <laughs> and acquire technology to yes. continue to bolster. So that, um, well, that's good news for Surefire, as long as that agreement is set up in their favor. And sounds yes, like absolutely they get to continue to operate their way. Um, but no, that's another good news article. I think we're full of good news today. It might not have been that way early in the week, uh, but at least pre-report show things are going off all right. Well, for now, we'll see what today's uh, planting report brings. But yes, for now. I don't, this isn't necessarily a time sensitive article, but is fairly timely as our listeners are preparing to get into the field. And it was an article here written with the title of Do Pretty Cornfields Actually Translate into Higher Yields? So this was a joint effort between John Deere, Case, New Holland, and precision planting. And they were all talking about that picket fence looking stand of corn. So we all know there's a lot of technology lately that has gone into making sure that we have a very uniform stand, exact planting depth, exact spacing. We want to do this at high speeds, but is that just a marketing ploy or does it actually translate into higher yields? So um, the John Deere marketing manager, Kevin Jewell stated, Hey, corn can compensate for some degree of variations but seed spacing and emergence are 100% important. There is no hybrid that can compensate for bad seed metering or seed placement problems, creating skips, doubles, or uneven emergence. So John Deere is already behind this. 
then you get to Dave Brennan in with Case International Planner Marketing Manager. And he says, we want to photocopy plants as much as we can. If we can get that picket fence stand from high metering accuracy and photocopy those plants, we will see significant yield benefits. But where I saw the part of this article that really stuck out to me is Jason Webster with Precision mm-hmm. Planting Technology. He goes, we actually ran a trial where we created a planter that would plant everything all wrong. And what he came up with, he said the difference in that study between the all wrong planter, so the one that's planting skips and doubles and not having the even spacing, and the planter that did the best job possible for singulation and, and depth the uniform emergence was an average of 16.6 more bushels per acre. So at $5 corn, which we know we're above that right now, that's over an $80 difference per acre on the importance of having a uniform stand. That is crazy to think about too, isn't it? Yeah, that I didn't expect it to go that way. Like I said, the article started off with quotes from both John Deere and Case. And I was sitting there going, okay, yep, we're selling planners. Um, <laughs> so it was nice to see some actual data behind it. Yeah. And uh, Jason Webster is obviously a pretty regarded name in that space. So kind of vetted by him, I would say, gives him the stamp of approval. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Well, uh, I hate to take us down this path, but I want to give us a quick update here on retail fertilizer trends. And this is probably the only, let's call it down news for today. But we're continuing to see, obviously, significantly higher retail fertilizer prices returned for the fourth week of March of 2022, according to BTN's survey. The last time two fertilizers were double digits higher was the first week of December 2021. So we've kind of started to get back on track to where we were pre-2022. DAP and urea led the way higher. Uh, DAP was about 16% more expensive and urea was about 10% higher compared to last month. So urea is not quite at the $1,000 mark, but pretty darn close. And uh, we're certainly seeing lots of fertilizers continue to push higher, Tanner. Yeah, there's a lot of headlines that are tying that to, again, um, the Russia and Ukraine conflict. Uh, ultimately, it, it doesn't seem like there's an end in sight. We've got strong commodity prices, which are supporting growers for purchasing fertilizer at those levels. So demand is probably not slowing down. Um, it's just unfortunate to see that coming out of the pocketbook on a year that could be so positive for growers. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, part of that's still being led, like you said there, by the Russia-Ukraine situation. And it sounds like uh, yesterday's top morning news was that there were no breakthroughs in the recent talks in Istanbul But that certainly has kept markets supported as of yesterday. We saw, of course, on Tuesday, a pretty ugly sell-off in grains. Yesterday, Wednesday, we saw things claw their way back into positive territory. And today is going to be kind of the wild card with the prospective plantings report today. But I also wanted to make a quick mention here, Tanner, to the oil market, because we don't often talk a lot about that on the podcast, aside from Market Mondays. But Energy prices uh, were a little weaker yesterday into today on news that the White House may release up to a million barrels of oil per day for the next few months in an effort to essentially tame fuel prices here in the United States. So we do have that piece of news coming to the market today. And we also saw U.S. crude oil stocks fall by 3.4 million barrels for the week ending March 20. 
Fifth, leaving them 14% below levels normally seen at this time in March. So a little bit of conflicting news there. Yeah, it almost seems like the release of those barrels is just going to offset where we're short in stocks. Yes. We may not actually see a fuel price dip. Um, It could just be protecting us from them shooting even higher. Yeah. And then it's the question of if we're already that far below normal March stock levels, uh, how quickly can we rebuild those? That's correct. Yeah. there's a, Unfortunately, there is a lot of companies that either shut down or went bankrupt that uh, either need some strategic investment to get fired up and going, and then we got to track down the labor. So yeah, that, that would be really interesting to track to see how quickly we can get things back online. And maybe there's some listeners out there that could shed some light on that. We're pointing us in the direction of a couple of good articles that we could share with everybody else. Absolutely. So Delaney, when you were talking about the markets, I quickly pulled those up and it does look like we were quiet in the overnight here as we approach the open. Um, Very little movement. It looks like everybody's kind of waiting for that report to come out. So it'll be interesting to see what the morning looks like uh, as that works, but uh, little to no change, both corn, soybeans, uh, a little bit uh, up in the wheat. But other than that, pretty much flat, even as you get into soybean oil, uh, and rice markets. So pretty quiet overnight is what it looks like. But why don't we give a chance for our sponsor and partner this week to share a message. So here is something from Grasshopper. It doesn't matter whether you're on the backfield or the front yard. On Mo Day, perfection is a game of inches. It's a battle of fence line and fierce terrain. Out there on that Grasshopper mower, you don't let anything stop your stripes. Nothing stands in the way of a job well done. For more on Mow Day and Grasshopper Mowers, visit grasshoppermower.com. All right. That was uh, great. Thanks to Grasshopper for supporting us this week on the show. Delaney, I'm a little bit jealous of the conversation that you and Ted get to have this afternoon going over the report. I'll be excited to hear what that sounds like when it comes out. So will I, Tanner. So will... uh have that conversation here in just a little while, literally in person, but uh, for our (laughs) listeners, Tanner, let's go ahead here and kick it over to that conversation. Well, folks, as promised, we are chatting today with Ted Seifert and Ted, we had the big prospective planting report that came out today. And I realized as it was coming out, well, we never got your guesses on what acreage was going to be today. Yeah, no, you know, it it, it was a surprise for everybody. Um, you know, I think for the most part, what happened there was, you know, go back to November, December, we were talking about high input costs, uh, kind of swaying uh, acres from corn into soybeans. But then, you know, as we get into January, February, and guys like me are talking to uh our, our our clients and our farmers and and you know they're saying I you know we're pretty much going to just stick with our rotation. Uh, so I think the the trade had gotten sort of lulled into the idea that hey yeah you know we're just going to stick with the rotation. Corn's profitable even though input uh, costs are high. You've got these uh, you know really good corn prices right now. So you know, maybe we won't see that big of a decline in corn acres and, and not see that big of an increase in soybean acres. But where it happened, Delaney, were the acres that, you know, maybe aren't, uh, 
guys like me don't have a whole lot of clients in, say, Mississippi, for example, where corn acres are down 16.4%, or Arkansas, where corn acres are down 12%. Um, the big surprise for me was North, North Dakota. I, I just, I'm not hearing that. Uh, but North Dakota, by the way, <laughs> acres are down in corn by 12.2%, but also down in soybeans by 13.4%. And that highlights my next, my next point, Delaney. This was a very difficult report for anyone to predict because we had these high input costs. So that was something that, you know, was, we weren't exactly sure how that was going to affect it or how much that was going to affect it. But when you talk about acres, you know, a lot of times we have this idea of, you know, well, Corn is this profitable versus soybeans only this profitable or cotton or so on and so forth. And it's, it's pretty easy to see where the math would take you. The problem this year is that pretty much everything was really rather profitable, right? So it came down to what, what do we want to plant? What do we feel least risk about? What just, what just, what, where is our comfort level? There's nothing really pushing us necessarily towards one thing or another, Where's our comfort level? Um, and, and for the guys that, that feel good with cotton, cotton got a fairly sizable increase in acres. Uh, sorghum kind of dropped in acres, surprising to me. Uh, but yeah, I mean, really, it, it, it was very up in the air coming into the acres report. But at the end of the day, we did see a fairly significant drop in corn acres. And again, you're going to say that's input cost, but it's, it's not happening in the I states where corn is only down 2.3% in, in Iowa, down 2.7% in Illinois, or even Nebraska, where it's only down 2%. It's happening again in your Arkansas, your Mississippi's, your Pennsylvania's, uh, places that, uh, you know, you don't really think about, they're not the first state that comes to mind when you think about corn planting. So, what it does do uh, with a, a lower than expected corn number uh, and a higher, significantly higher than expected soybean acreage number, what we have to do is we have to go back to the USDA's Outlook Forum balance sheet that we, we saw. That's the only new crop balance sheet that we have from the USDA to this point. We will start seeing them on WASDE reports in two months. Um, but for right now, we've got to kind of go off that, that Outlook number. And when you change the acreage and you have to change beginning stocks because the old crop ending stocks have come down uh, or been adjusted since that February outlook number came out. So only changing those two things, changing acreage and changing the beginning stocks, the new carryover numbers are really interesting. Corn back in February, the carryover was just under 2 billion bushels at a 1.965 billion bushels. Now with the new numbers, we're at 1.490, and that is including, or that is uh, dependent on a national average yield of a 181, which would be a new record by a fair amount. So we've lost, you know, just since the since the last outlook, the last balance sheet that we saw from the USDA on new crop, we've lost half a billion bushels in corn. We went from a a, a really neutral to maybe even slightly bearish new crop corn outlook to something that could now be really rather bullish. Because again, going back to that 181 national average yield, if that comes down to say a 179, all of a sudden we're at a 1.15 billion bushel carryover. And that's leaving exports unchanged, which that export number the USDA gave us came before the Ukrainian situation happened. If we're to think that we're going to get more exports because of what's happening over in the Ukraine, we're very easily 
below a billion bushel carryover. There's a very clear path in corn, new crop corn, to be below a billion bushel carryover. So we went from having really not a bullish story in corn to now having a potentially very bullish story in corn. It really makes this growing season and the weather that we're going to have this growing season very important. And if you've seen a drought monitor lately, you can make some fairly scary comparisons to drought monitors that we've seen in years past at this time of year. So all of a sudden, you have this really interesting story in corn. Now, you mm-hmm. think, okay, well, that must have come at the at the expense of soybeans. Soybeans were down 50 cents in, in November beans here today because, you know, acres were sharply higher than expected. Okay, well, let's do the same thing. You know, let's take that USDA's Outlook Forum balance sheet and plug in the new beginning stocks number and the new acreage number. And all things considered, I'm at a 405 million bushel carryover compared to a 305 million bushel carryover that we saw back in February. So you lost half a billion bushels of corn and you only gained 100 million bushels of soybeans. That's not as bearish of a, of a bean story as what I think we were originally thinking when we saw those bigger soybean acres. I'm also going to say that that is contingent on a 285 million bushel carryover uh, from old crop being the beginning stocks for new crop. Well, I would argue that with the export sales that we continue to see, and again, another big, big export sales a week, uh, uh, unseasonally big uh, export sales week last week. We saw those numbers on Thursday. If those export sales continue, I, there's no way that we're not going to lower that ending stocks number for old crop and therefore have a lower beginning stocks number for new crop. And with a record amount of new crop sales already on the books, do you think that a 60 million uh, bushel increase from one year to next year, uh, from this year to next year in exports is not nearly enough? So very quickly and very easily, I'm able to take that 405 million bushel carryover and take things we already know or, or have a strong feeling about and bring that down right back to that 305 uh, million bushel carryover. And then again, that's at a 51.5 national average yield. Well, you know, at first glance, to me, that's not a big stretch. 51.5 soybean national average yield seems an easier number to hit than the 181 national average yield in corn. At least I felt that way until today. The problem is when you have places like Virginia increasing their soybean uh, acreage by 13.3%, Tennessee by 20%, um, North Carolina by 10%. Kentucky by 10%, Wisconsin by almost 10%. A lot of these areas, and well, Wisconsin has some pretty good yields, uh, but you know, a lot of these areas aren't your typical big yielding states, and a lot of them are actually going to be double crop. So the poorer acres coming into the soybean production make it harder to hit that trend line yield. So again, you know, you have to consider what the look of that drought monitor and the acreage that is increasing in soybeans, not maybe some of that acreage not being the, the best acres. 51.5 starts to, to seem like a rather lofty target to hit. So if you have any production issues in soybeans, all of a sudden my balance sheet goes from a 300 million bushel carryover down to 220 maybe, could be lower. So that bullish story in soybeans hasn't gone anywhere in old crop. The bullish story in new crop soybeans maybe took a little step back, but it's really not hard to see it considering the amount of exports that we're getting right now and that we've already gotten for new crop. So 
although beans were down sharply here today, that was a knee-jerk reaction. And, and I say it all the time, Delaney, report day reactions are for your professional traders, your fund money traders. They just trade, you know, here's what the trade was expecting. Here's what the numbers came out as. They trade the difference. You know, this is bullish or bearish. They don't actually know what those numbers mean. The day after the report is when guys like us who are able to take these numbers and put them in a balance sheet and really get a good idea of what they mean. That's when markets show their true colors. I kind of think there's a good chance that either tomorrow on a Friday or early next week, we're going to see a very different story play out on the board. Because again, I don't think this new crop soybean situation is nearly as bearish as what the first glance was. It doesn't matter whether you're on the backfield or the front yard. On Mo Day, perfection is a game of inches. It's a battle of fence line and fierce terrain. Out there, on that grasshopper mower, you don't let anything stop your stripes. Nothing stands in the way of a job well done. For more on Mow Day and Grasshopper Mowers, visit grasshoppermower.com. Yeah, I mean, you make some really good arguments there. Uh, at face value, it might seem that way, and traders are trading that today. But I'm going to be curious, like you said, how we open up tomorrow, Ted, and move forward from here. But I remember last time we had you on the podcast, you mentioned something along the lines of a powder keg. This thing is just getting ready to explode. And it sounds like uh, pending weather, you still are thinking that is uh, the path forward here. Absolutely, Delaney. And, and I'll take that one step forward and say, you know, the old crop situation, the old crop soybean situation, you know, hasn't changed at all. What acres we're planting for soybeans doesn't change anything about what's going to happen with the soybean market between now and the end of August. Right, so that powder keg is still there, and and that powder keg just <laughs> continues to get bigger and bigger when you see export sales. You know, last week's weekly export sales for soybeans for old crop soybeans alone were 1.3 million metric tons at a time of year where we would expect to see that number fall to pretty much zero. So that continues to happen, right? Um, but not only that. Now you have a potential powder keg in corn with the Ukraine situation, with the idea that next year acreage is going to be way down and we've got all that weather risk. So now we need to take all of the old crop bushels that we can into new crop. You're going to have a lot of competition between exports and, and again, trying to hold that to in, into our domestic ending stocks. So now you not only have powder keg in soybeans, you have powder keg in corn. And if you can get both of them to, to kind of happen at the same time, you get a bigger explosion with two powder kegs than you do with one, right? Absolutely. And Ted, I'm curious, how much weight do you put in today's report and the fact of, do you think we'll see any other acres transition or do you think this is pretty much going to be it? All right. That's a great question, Delaney. You know, everybody wants to say every year when we see planning intentions, you know, everybody says, yeah, but those numbers are going to change dramatically. You know, the funny thing about that is they typically don't. You know, the bias actually in corn has been down. Um, I think the last four or five years, we've seen corn acres, final corn acres, actually below the planting intentions number. Now, this year is is a little bit of a different story because we're so much down so much from last year's uh, corn acres. I, I do think there will be some movement there. Um, and a lot of it's going to depend on weather. Ultimately, the biggest thing that changes acres is always weather. I mean, let's go back to 2019 where we just couldn't get corn in and we had to see this massive shift to soybeans just, just because, I mean, it was 100% out of necessity. That wasn't something that we wanted to do. Uh, so barring some sort of major weather event like that, which I'm not seeing that at least at the moment, 
Yeah, I think maybe you get about 500,000 acres. Maybe corn acres get bumped up to 90,000. Maybe soybean acres are at 90 and a half instead of 91. But that's about as big as I think it would be. Uh, my absolute biggest, you know, might be a million. In fact, the biggest plus minus shift that we've seen between intentions and planted acreage is about a million and a half. If you take out 2019, which was, again, that was all weather related. And even 2020, which is very much trade war related, uh, in a normal year, which I don't know what we call normal anymore, but in a year like this where we don't have a trade war going on and who knows what weather's going to look like, but at least if we have a, a fairly typical planting season, you're not, you're really not, it's, it's very hard to expect anything more than a million acre shift. And I, and I think that's even on the high end. Well, but I certainly think you've given us a lot to think about today. So certainly appreciate you coming on and sharing your thoughts. But if folks have questions and want to pick your brain a little bit more, how can they get a hold of you? Absolutely. Delaney, you can reach me directly at 312-277-0113. Otherwise, you can find us on the web at www.zaner.com. You can read a bit about us. You can sign up for our newsletter. And if you're on Twitter, I am at the TED spread. I, uh, I do talk about markets occasionally, but also... I like to talk about ethanol. I have a car that is a lot of fun because it runs on ethanol. Um, and I like to talk about whether hot dogs or sandwiches and things like that. So a little bit more of my personal side, but uh, check it out if you get a chance. Fantastic, Ted. Well, thanks again for coming on today. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Delaney. You have a wonderful rest of your day. Well, a big thanks there to Ted for chatting with us today. I know those days uh, when we have big reports like this are certainly big trading days. So we do appreciate him stepping away from that to uh, come on and chat with us. Yes, that's uh, it's always a pleasure to have him on and get his insights. And uh, it'll be interesting to see where we go from here. It certainly will, Tanner. But uh, we've got one more episode in the week this week. And then you're done with week one. Yes, I'm nervous. Tomorrow's April Fool's Day, and I still don't know what oh, you're going to try and do to me. I got to think through that. I haven't done a very good job, but I'll think of something. Don't you worry. I'm sure you will. Well, what do you think, Delaney? Should we let the listeners go? Let's let them go.